<laughs> Please tell me you're still recording. <laughs> I am, yeah. <laughs> no. I'm the Property Funder, better known as Michael Dean, and this is the Property Funder podcast. I'm a successful entrepreneur, investor, NED and advisor. As co-founder of Avermore Capital, I'm best known for having financed over a billion pounds of property developments and investments by value during my career so far. During my time in business, I've come across an incredibly broad spectrum of successful people all with their own unique experiences working in a variety of industries. I want to speak to these people and learn more about them. I'm not looking to have the world's biggest podcast, so if just one person benefits from what my guests have to say, then that to me would look like success. And if you are that one person, then you should probably not tell anyone about this. Welcome to the Property Funder podcast, and I'm here with Jordan today. Um, before we get started, uh, those of you who are regular listeners, if I can please ask a small, actually massive favour, um, if you're already subscribing to us on either YouTube, Spotify or Apple Music, please give us a five star rating or as good a rating as you can. Uh, it means a lot and it means that not because I want to be particularly famous, but it does mean that those people who could do with listening to the wisdom and insights of our wonderful guests, uh, more people can hear about what they have to say and offer. Anyway, we were saying that we have got Jordan with us here today. And so, Jordan, what's your full name? What is your business? And then please describe what your business does. Uh, I am Jordan McGuire. I am the CEO of AFIG, which is a specialist property finance brokerage, which is sort of based between the Northwest and London. And thank you for the invite. It's quite funny after your nice introduction there, people know what they're doing. I don't know why, you must have had a gap to get me on. So thanks for that. <laughs> I think it's called a slow Wednesday, Jordan. But uh, anyway, <laughs> of course, we je- uh, of course, we jest, uh, but Jordan's actually incredibly accomplished. Uh, person in the world of property finance and also someone I consider to be a friend, a good friend if anything and uh, some that we've done uh, a good amount of business with thankfully. But Jordan, uh, AFIG, talk to us about how you got here and maybe start with kind of from school upwards and and I'm sure our our listeners would be fascinated to hear about your journey. Yeah sure, so AFIG is our sort of where we've got to now and the, the kind of potter history of, of me and where we've come from. So I was fortunate enough to go to a good school, which I managed to get in off the back of part uh, relative decent brain in my head and part a lot of my father's blagging. I um, tried to get into the local comprehensive schools where we live just in Radcliffe in Manchester, which weren't the best two schools. And by chance, my father managed to convince the school uh, induction team from the local grammar school that I did have a place on the interview list and the exam list and they just forgot to send me the letter. Somehow I managed to blag the exam and the interview on the day where the two children luckily at the time had missed it through illness. There was one place left and I got it. So 
hopefully they did all right themselves. But yeah, went to grammar, grammar school education, did okay. He was, you know, education was not always my best friend. School was, in truth, made my best friends from there. Taught me a hell of a lot of how to be a decent human being, uh, I'd like to think. And then in conjunction with that, I was also a pretty decent sports person, sportsman. And at the time, I was playing for Manchester City's academy, um, all the way up to under-16s, under-17s, and was very fortunate to make an England schoolboy appearance. Again, was football my best friend a bit. Again, taught me how to be structured, be, um, you know, how to be a decent human being again, and how to look after myself and look after people around you. Work as a team. Um, long story short, university wasn't for me. I told you going to the States. I had a place at UCLA lined up to go and do a sports scholarship over there. But again, wasn't where I wanted to be. And I wanted to get into the world, start working. I'd worked in a hairdresser's, believe it or not, as a backroom wash at the age of 14, which doesn't explain a lot. <laughs> so was a grafter, you know, to this day still a grafter. Um, so left education, actually left two months before the end of school and was working Saturdays and Sundays and Wednesday nights in local estate agency. And then when I got study leave for my A-levels, I actually went to work full time. Uh, managed to, I can now say it's 10 years past due date, fail three of my four A-levels, which I only told my mum two weeks ago when she was lauding me that I'd done so well in mine. Luckily, she's only five foot two and not got a decent reach on. I was far enough out of the way. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I'm, I'm lucky that I worked hard and went to a state agency, was there for three or four years, was pretty successful at it. But typically in the northwest of England at the time, we were three or four years behind London and southeast and we didn't come out of the recession as quick as it did down here, which is obviously where I live now. And noticed pretty quickly that there was a gap in the market for a need for property finance. You know, people wanted to buy, people couldn't afford it. And my father at the time, who is a mortgage sales, mortgage broker by trade, was running a private bridging book, again, which obviously had to shut down after their credit lines were pulled in 2008-2009. And we decided to set up a company which he called, and I make it he called, McBridge, which is still to date the worst name that's ever been given to a company. Um, luckily, I got involved pretty quickly and changed the name to Adapt, which again is a slightly funny story in that all the branding initial marketing material was actually in Adept. And when I sent it across, spell check made it adapt. So we fell upon that one. And it was designed to be a lifestyle business to a point for my dad. I was 22 at the time, 23, and what did more? And we went from doing a million pounds a month to 10 million pounds a month in probably 18 months worth of trading. Needing more firepower, needing more expertise, brought in Stephen Burns, who's my dad's business partner for 20 odd years now. Um, F. Ricks knows what he's doing, incredibly intelligent regarding property. So at that point, we had the mortgage brain in my dad, we had the property guy in Steve, I was the hybrid, if you like, but obviously brought the energy and the youth. And then later on, brought in Graham Ball, who was our, on my father and Steve's um, bank manager, my book, not lay them back in the day, and he now runs our commercial mortgages. So we, that was Adapt's journey. Um, as I say, went to, from doing 10 million quid a year to 150 million quid a year all across anything property related in specialist world. So bridging, development, refurb, anything out of brick in it we could fund the construction of and the change of. And today ADAPT just about, or ADAPT now AFIG is just about to pass a billion pounds in property debt. Over 3,000 homes have been created under our stewardship, I guess you'd like to call it, because we do remain actively involved in everything we do. You know, we, we are finance partners, not brokers. We, we do believe that. Um, Cut the very long story short, which is the name of Steve's book when he brings it out, genuinely, um, which is frightening because I've read the first few chapters. Um, we, post-COVID, needed a change. 
we, we did. We needed to kick up the back end. And we fell upon a client of ours who were providing latent defects insurance to, you know, they're doing 700 policies a month. They have a database of a huge amount of people, uh, advantage home warranties. And then we decided to merge and become AFIG, which has now put us on a different platform again. It's more competitive. You know, we're competing a lot more than we have have done, which has been good for us. Uh, we're seeing more deal flow, but it's exciting and it's given us a further reach. We, you know, we're doing deals which we never thought we'd ever do from, and we've, and we've got a bit, we've got a good, you know, partner in Advantage. So that's the sort of post history of who I am, we are, where we are today, I guess. And um, so when when did you set up Adapt? Because I'm I'm still slightly, uh, my memory's hazy because we met, we first met probably back end of 2015, which is not long after we founded Avermore. Uh, yeah. we, we didn't get off to the best of starts deal wise, but we won't go into that. Um, do you uh, do you have a, a precise date when you kind of when when uh, Muckbridge uh, was start was was started and uh, obviously you stumbled into Adapt, yeah. Adept, you adeptly stumbled into yeah. the name yeah. Adapt. Um, so Muckbridge, so I left the estate agency in the September of 2013. Um, we had three months of trading as Muckbridge. I say trading, it was literally a, it was a Vista print business card done. But genuinely, again, was designed by my best friend's priest. Um, you couldn't write it up, honestly. You couldn't make wow. it up. Um, and then, yeah, Adapt was born on the 14th of April, 2014. So nine, nine years old nine as years a business. Old. Yeah. Cool. And so, and you were hold, how old at the time? I'd have been 21 when we started my bridge. 21. Wow. Well, yeah. I'm definitely 31 now with a very much uphill pay around. <laughs> um yeah I, i've got uh, i've got a lot of time for a lot lot of questions uh naturally um but yeah i mean listen hats off to you for great achievement because a billion pounds worth of, of facilities um with it even more we, you know obviously we're a lender not a broker um so slightly different but you know we're 600 million in eight years um not far off the same number of homes but probably a, a few less but the, those are great numbers, great numbers to be to be proud of. And not only 30 years old, 31 years old, it's it's a great, great achievement. You must feel very satisfied. I mean, you obviously high achieving individual with your uh, with, with this, you know, being involved with Man City. Uh, I mean, I think Man City, even even when you would have been playing for them, were starting to be starting to get quite good at the senior level. Um, I, I imagine many of us myself included, would have dreamed about playing uh, or being a, a youth uh, football international playing, um, you know, for a Premier League side in, in the youth setup. Because I think it will be interesting for our listeners, you talk us through what it was like. Um, you know, I imagine it's probably not all the sunshine and rainbows that that people imagine it to be. Not at all. No. And, and, and if anything, I, I still have this genuine belief and when I talk to people and explain to people you know my belief in what I'm about to say I think it very much made me who I am today your know, education and the grammar school education was a massive part of it but that that was a refinement of who I was because the football world is it's incredibly cutthroat you know people don't understand how competitive it is you know for example and this is probably putting the cart before the horse but the, the city team I played for we, we lost three games in seven years you know we, we were genuinely wow. very 
other side. You know, we we were expected to go and do you know the EPA Youth Cup, which you know, I was part of the team the year that won the year the year previous when they won that. I was in the squad that year, so not enough to have got a medal, which is annoying, but it's something I still try and tenuously hold on to. But of that team who we had for I was there for ten years nearly, and you'd probably see a footfall of football players from the you know you probably see, I would I would assume you probably saw sixty lads go through just my team come go stay squad. One of them made it immediately. He went to Italy to play for a, a Serie A team. Great kid, an exceptional football player. He was always earmarked to do that. And then only one other one made it. Sorry, two in the end. But they went down to as lower as Fleetwood Town, and one went to Huddersfield when he, they were in the third division. He actually brought Huddersfield up as the as the captain, Tom Smith. But you know, it, it's incredibly tight and tough. And when I say it, it's made me who I am today, and it took me a long time to realise this, actually, because I was a goalkeeper. I'm not that tall. Um, ironically, I'd like to think, well, I wouldn't do, and I'll get to why in a second, but if football was the way it is today when I was playing 10, 12 years ago, I'd have more chance as a goalkeeper. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm scraping six foot at best, depending on whose heels I've got. I was decent with my feet. You know, I was I was a modern goalkeeper, probably a bit too soon, but I remember being released, and, and the, the reason, reason why I was released was because I wasn't tall enough, I wasn't big enough. And you know what? The truth is, I believed that for so long because I remember the day I got released. I'd never drank a drop that my parents know about until that stage. And me and my dad went for a pint in town. I don't know if you remember, Chris Sambo was a big, big defender for Blackburn, biggest. Yeah. And he walked past me the day I'd been released, and he had a full-size umbrella, and it looked like some Del Boy put in a cocktail. He was. That <laughs> I thought, you know what? If he came running at me on a corner, you're right. I am too small. So for a long time, that was the reason. That was the that was the blame. That was the answer. And then. It dawned on me, however long after, I, I, it dawned on me, or I admitted to it, but I think it dawned then admittance was that I wasn't good enough. You know, I wasn't. And talent could have got me there with a bit more effort, maybe. The, the truth is, I didn't want it enough. And that's a big, big, big part of my life now. You, you can only get as so far as you can get on talent. You can. You have to have the desire. You have to have the want. And the, the, like, I always go back to it. The, you know, the guy I mentioned a second ago, Tom Smith. You know, from 12 years old, he's having meal plans that he made up himself. He'd come out, he'd, he'd finish football, he'd go straight into the changing room, he'd clean his boots. You know, in the time when they were proper leather boots, he'd have dubbing in the back of his bag. You know, he was committed to it beyond belief. And he had he had a lot of talent, don't get me wrong, but, you know, Kieran Trippier, another one, he was a year older than me. Again, great talent. God, he was committed. You know, and, and I didn't have that. And I think it's funny you, you start the conversation with, we'd all like the idea to be a professional football player. Yeah, I like the idea of it. I did, because you wouldn't, you know, the money, the lifestyle, the, like the idea of it, but I didn't have the love for it. Or I didn't love the idea enough to make it happen. But they, they form a lot of my, some of my proudest achievements. And like I say, and it taught me a lot that if you do want something, whether it be children or a happy home or whether it be a good business, you, you have to have that love for it and the want for it to make it work. You know, it's not natural, but it's natural, yeah. you know, you need it. Yeah, I mean, that, I think that's the thing about, I think it's about the thing about professional sport, um, teams, team sports, obviously you have more chances than individual sports to to get ahead, but you were playing in a position of goalkeeper where there's there's only one on the pitch, isn't there? And so, uh, you know, my my children, I don't, I don't ever tend to discourage, I don't tend to encourage them to play a position like goalkeeper. And fortunately, two of them got lead hands anyway, so that that's pretty helpful the the other one who who could play in goal um i always said to him look there's only one one goalkeeper on the pitch you know you could play center back cent- central midfield 
Uh, he could play, they could try and play wing, but he's he's a bit more of a he's a bit more granite shaka paced, I would say. So yeah, it, be a fullback. Yeah. Every yeah. goal loves a fullback. Every manager loves a fullback. He's played yeah. a big fullback. Yeah, full, well, that so that that's all that's always an option. Um, so, but I think the the key thing is that the commitment clearly that you need to have, uh, and it sounds like you still must have been incredibly committed because you managed to stay in a top level youth setup for ten years, and as you said, the sixty players probably went through your team during that time. There's a um, uh, there's a broker. Uh, based down on the south coast and I went to see her uh, with a colleague probably about two years ago and she has a son who's currently playing or at least the last time I spoke to her his son was playing in 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 the Bournemouth setup uh, but he was previously in the Southampton setup and he he got released by Southampton and then got picked up by by Bournemouth and from speaking to her I think she was starting to come to the conclusion the realization that her son probably wouldn't make it to the top top level because the amount of dedication and the amount you the amount of desire you needed to have to really get to that level it was just too much and she was saying that since the age of five her son had been giving up you know other friends kids parties you know having like you say having to start being careful about the things that that they eat you know I mean I've got three boys as you know and they eat like that that you know they eat us out of house and home I mean they're not they're all quite large but um, I imagine trying to say to them no you can't have that or you can't have that you can't have this bit of chocolate or whatever but to have to do that for 9 10 11 12 years to effectively give up the things that you would that us mere mortals would have enjoyed as a child you know that that level of sacrifice is something that's so difficult to sustain and you can only only do that if you really really want it and yeah, um, yeah i agree with that and i think the the bigger thing as well which again which you talk again which instead you know lays for a lot in life rejection's a big thing you have to deal with especially as a kid yeah. i was released from man united at the age of eight i was there from five to eight and i got released from man united um just did and i went to play for berry when, you know, when they were think, and then ended up being scouted by Bolton. Four, four of us did. My best and two best friends and another lad went to Bolton. We we're actually at the time going. This is how oh, I was ten. This is in two thousand and one. We were actually bought by Bolton for physical, like for actual money. And you know, again, we had a decent side. And, and again, that comes with the pressure. And then was scouted by City because at the time, for some reason, Bolton had three goalkeepers. You only need two at best in a youth setup. You know, when they had three, so City came knocking on the door. I went to City, and then you know, Bolton tried to sue us two years later. <laughs> and again, you get this sense of grandeur, and it's it's really funny that you you all of a sudden you realise you're in a you are very much in a man's are you're in an adult man's world, and, and and this again this is going back 15 years ago nearly now. You're very very different. You know, some of the coaches you're you're laughing at that you're they're not allowed to be part of youth football anymore because they were they were ex professional professional football players from the 60s and 70s. You can imagine. What they were like, you know, they were they were tough, tough blokes. But then there's some of the people there. You know, I, I always tell the same story. My goalkeeper coach at the time, a guy called Alex Williams, who was the first black goalkeeper in the Premiership. Brilliant, brilliant man. And he was trained in the middle of my side, which was fun at the best time. But he was local. He was local cult hero, and he still to this day does the corporate hospitality for Man City. And where we've got season tickets there, 
and where you walk, I don't go that as much as I used to anymore, but where you walk, where he walks the guest down onto the pitch, does the pictures, he comes back and every time the first thing he says, hey Jordan, how's your mum? First thing, not seen it for 15 years, but he was a hero of mine. It's a, it's a testament. And again, these people you, you surround yourself with and you, you learn a lot from them. And he was one of them big time. Yes, it sounds like in, in uh, you say, Alex Williams, you say. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, shout out to Alex Williams. But it sounds like Alex had the right right values, right personal values. I mean, I think what, you know, what sort of, the, what are the values and what are the, you know, what are the key personal values do you think that you got from your time in football? Um, and how do you think that they apply to, you know, your, your world today? Um, not just not not just in the business sense, but also outside of outside of the outside of the, the office, shall we say? Yeah, I think <clears throat> I think one of them is being humble. You know, I'm realizing that everything can be taken away from you tomorrow because it can. You, know, you, you never know what's going to come around tomorrow. So always be grateful for what you've got. Always want more. You don't. You know, I've never I've never been a person to gamble everything I've got for the next best thing. You know, I'm always, I'm quite logical, but again, that probably came from being part of a team sport. You mentioned that you know, I was an individual in a team sport, so I had to make my own decisions for the benefit of other people. So it's probably been naturally ingrained in me since I was a young kid. So it, it kind of gave me, and I, I had a responsibility because the truth is if I didn't turn up when I was playing football, you know, we lost. You know, if I make a mistake, it's a goal. So it, it gave me great responsibility. It taught me to be very, very humble. Um, it taught me, as I say, to, to never, you know, it can all disappear tomorrow. But it also instilled a, a, a sense of, uh desire in truth you know I, I still to this day always want to be the best what i can be like you say not just in business i want to be the best dad i want to be the best partner i want to be you know have nice things you know i'm a human being you know it's it's never done probably goes to football and my parents you know i've got I, you know my parents i'm really lucky i come from a brilliant family you know and, they, and they've always kept me very 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 grounded um which it's been brilliant. It's nice to pass on for my kids as well. But you know, it's always always want more, but never, never, never risk lose more than what you're ever going to gain. Yeah, I mean, I think there's some very valuable, uh, valuable insights there uh, that I think we can all get something out of. Your um, the early days of Adapt, you had you had an interesting office setup, didn't you? you have an interesting office location. You want to tell people about uh, about that because I mean, if you want humble. Um, and, I, and I went there once uh, and, and I think that people were shocked that I decided that I actually was mad enough to go up there. But do you want to talk talk through the sort of the humble, humble digs that adapt? Yeah, uh, sort of started. Well, I say started life in, but well, it uh, is. It's a point. You know, it went from the dining table of bridge to, to the Wharf 3 Hollybank Mill. And Hollybank Mill is basically it's my godfather. He has a, quite a, a decent or a large business where they, they basically it's a car graveyard best way to put it so and it's in a very tricky part of where we grew up you know it, where we where we lived in Radcliffe had a, had the affectionate nickname of DSV which is dog something valley you know that's the way it was you yeah. had good, good and the bit in the middle and the, the offices were right at the bottom and we used to laugh all the time because to get to our office you had to go past a vacant storage unit like a big old typical northwest mill round the corner where there was a never to be a burnt out car there was always two or three blokes on a corner doing some dodgy handshakes is pretty much what they were doing. And they had to go past then the car graveyard before you got to even the start of where we worked. And all the windows had cast iron railings against them. It was, but you went inside, it was brilliant. But we always, we always used to laugh so much, say that, can you imagine this morning, Michael Dean's come from a very nice part of, you know, Northwest London, he's type, he's come from his office in the city, 
he's got on a train for a couple of hours and he's now landed where we are. I bet he thinks he's literally gone back in time. At the, you know, it probably, and the thing is, it, it, it did create quite a lot of, it created fun more than anything. And the truth is, I think, like you say, we, we didn't get off to the best start from a deal point of view, but I, I would still to this day pen our beginning of our friendship from when you came up that day. Yeah. Because yeah. Yeah, I think, because probably not everyone was, was des- was desperate to come up to uh, the trading estate and, and come see you. They probably prefer to go and see you in the, in the centre of Manchester in some posh cafe or bar, I guess. But uh, I, I have to say, I, I, I thought it was great. I, I thought it was very funny. You, uh, you you mentioned to me once that there wasn't there a police impound uh, next door and uh, someone uh, some someone from a maybe a gangland community may have been looking to uh, recover one of their vehicles or something like that do you can, can you remember that story do you want to tell Absolutely. our listeners that out there yes yeah, so we sat there and you could you could never time it there was no it could have been worse timing so we we you know that were SCA regulated part part of the nacfb and other other types of memberships and the one who have always taken it very seriously thank god and rightly are the nacfb and they do compliance calls and they come and see it and it's the first time they came to see us so they've gone through the journey they've gone through all the same thing that you've got to to get to our office and as they talk, as they turned up, like, yeah, it's a, it's a safe environment. All the things looked after. It's a compound. It's always, and we saw the best we can do. Because at the end of the day, it is a bit of a funny little stain on the on the map of where we are. And next minute, all we hear is these really loud engines. So as we open our roller shutter door, you've got two blokes in a transit van that's been souped up to the eye with these, these little, like, hooks and metal things to pull the gate off so this guy can take his compound in Nissan Skyline GTR. I'm thinking, NACFB here to stay. Here we go. <laughs> but it's, it, everything that's ever happened with adapts, and it, there's there's always there's there's always something. There's always just there's, it, it it could be. I'm sure we pulled the guns in a bit. You know, my father and Steve they did have a TV show on ITV because their life has always been. It's been like a soap opera. There's always been something there, and as for us, you know, it's, there's always been a little thing that just we sit back at however long after and just laugh. Yeah, what? So actually, let's let's talk about your dad's TV show because I I know I know a little bit a little bit about it in passing from the 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 brief conversations we've had about it. But yeah, so your your dad and Steve Burns they they were sort of locally famous for a while, right? Yeah, obviously when he listens to this, he'd very much be on the phone committee. It'd be Steve's show with my dad involved, which. Yeah, so basically they 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 got the opportunity to do a, a fly on the wall documentary when they had their uh, their business. So the, the business was Burns at Briar and Hall, and Steve had the the ground floor, which was the estate agency. And bear in mind, you know, we all laugh about Steve, incredibly talented man. You know, he, he went he went solo on he opened uh, Stephen Burns and Co. In, I think it was 1994 on Valentine's Day, and a year later he won um, the estate agent of the year for the Northwest, which was beating you know, the likes of the big Manchester corporates, the best or he used at the time, the beat the big agents. And they actually went on to win the national the national title that year as a one-man band, beating Foxtons, beating Winkworth, all, he, he won it. So there's, there's a reason why he's so good. And anyway, so he had the estate agency, and my dad had the mortgage floor, and there was, there was another floor for construction above. And they filmed them for, I think, about eight, nine months. Um, literally every viewing Steve did, every mortgage appointment my dad went to. And then it was actually lined up on a Tuesday, I think it was Tuesday, Tuesday or Thursday, in between Emmerdale, and Coronation Street. So it was wow. M- Gap, Coronation Street. And everyone's like, oh, don't worry. Everyone just flicks over to EastEnders. That's why they do it. They've seen them between. And they expect to have God knows something. But they, they had like millions of viewers. It was called Viewing Recommended. And you can imagine at the time, I'm like 
12, 13. So my body's going through everything that it can be going through at the time. I'm, you know, touchy.com. I've got a girlfriend, and I remember like being at my girlfriend's like parents' house one day. And all of a sudden it's, Jordan, is that your dad on TV? As I walk in, he falls off the chair. Mm. <laughs> I feel happy. <laughs> but it was genuinely funny. It, it, it was. And, you know, we do have it on DVD and we, we put it on every so often. You know, Steve looks like a different person completely. You know, it's hilarious. But it was part of the madness and the genius of what they created. And then it, it's, it's just been passed on because I've had the, I've got the, you know, the DNA of my dad and, you know, his sort of maths brain, if you like, and his sales brain. But then I've, I've inherited the, we always say, the, we, he, he says corporateness, we say corporalness of the Burns. Yeah. yeah and it's, it's been a great learning curve. Well, it's almost the perfect combination of nature and nurture because you, you've got the nature from your dad and then having spent a lot of time around, you know, kind of Uncle Steve uh, as well. Uh, yeah, I bet he's gonna. You, you hate me calling him that, right? Uh, yeah. He's he's gonna he's gonna love it. Um, you yeah, you you get that sort of nurture that nurture component too, because you spent a lot of time with with Stephen as well, and you know, and, and knowing Stephen quite well, he's he's this incredible character. You know, he's um, yeah, a, a, a sort of a, a a fairly unique individual uh, and someone that certainly, if you were gonna learn a thing or two as a young pup. You, you know someone invaluable to have around and uh yeah he's, he's got a wicked turn of phrase and doesn't suffer fools gladly at all so um also quite useful you know you you, you develop a, a pretty good bullshit filter as a consequence of spending time with someone like him um and he's got he's got a thingy on me as well <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing um so so let, let's just talk going back to the sort of early days of adapt you know you're talking about doing a million a, a million a month then going up to sort of 10 million a month and and obviously here we are a billion pounds later um you've not necessarily got a, an office digs where you know client you know clients aren't pouring in through the door you, you've got to go out there and and win the business how how did you go about winning the business, you know, winning the business, getting the clients? Um, you know, you seem to have been quite successful in one with one particular group of, of people, um, which I think has been quite helpful in terms of turbocharging your success. Yeah. But how, you know, what how, how did that look? How, how did you sort of end up um, in, in that position? Yeah, so, so it's, it's quite funny, actually. So I think it was it was interesting start so we we set up and then typically my dad being a mortgage broker for years had a few clients that he spoke to and you know typical um people they could kind of reach out to but then i think what we realized pretty quickly that your bridging finance was born out of the northwest it was born from henry moser and his associates and i think until you actually if you ever lived it like we would he has an extreme oh i'm a mark now an agent you know they carried it on it's it's a phenomenon. You know, they do have a complete monopoly, in particular in the Northwest, you know, because they're, they're so good at what they do. And they, as people, people know them, that's the way they've been. So what we were going, what we were doing is we were going out trying to compete for work against them. You know, we were going to get in, we'd, we'd struggle and fight and do everything to get a better deal than what they were offering and what they could do. And then at the last minute, that we were gazumps, for want of a better term, we were usurped by the animal that was. So it, the truth is, it, it, it forced us to just go and get a train. You know, at the time, a train, a return ticket from Manchester to, to Houston was 55 quid. You know, we realised, and which became, it, it, it sort of almost a candid throwaway comment, was, you know, we, we get paid a percentage of whatever we do. We, we never charge a fee in our lives. We get paid a procuration fee, depending on who, who the lender is. And we realised pretty quickly that a terraced house in Manchester is 50 grand. 
and a terrorist asked London's 300 grand. You know, for the sake of 55 pound train ticket, it made a bit of sense. And what what it did was so we we kind of with a bit of, you know, a bit of luck as well. We got a phone call from a, an old client, Steve's, who had a nephew who had a, a, a cousin who'd stuck his hand up in an auction and didn't have the money for it. And you know, lo and behold, we worked very closely with him for three or four years, and we grew his portfolio from sort of a couple million quid to nigh on 80 million quid. So he was, don't get me wrong, he was a, a great pioneer for what we were. But again, like you alluded to, then we we were working within a community where hard to get in, very easy to get out if you do the wrong mm. thing. We we almost solely worked for that individual for probably six months. And then it was, okay, you, you've earned your stripes, you've done what we thought you can do, and we'll, we'll now introduce you to other members of it. So you know, like anything, there's a bit of luck. There's the right place, right time. You know, your face has to fit, like it did in the football world. But, you know, we, we latched onto it. And, you know, we, you know, at that point, Steve and I in particular, I would add to all three of us, we were, we were doing at least three round trips to London every week. It was hard, it was hard work. Mm. On the seven o'clock train, oh, actually, no, that's not true. We were on the 9.35 at the first off-peak train, so we actually became palatably, you know, available to buy it. And on the one back, they'd go back at one in the morning, and we'd do that two, three times a week. You know, and, and that's, again, that's where the desire came from, to, to do more and to prove to more. And, you know, that that all the work we've ever done, probably by bar maybe 1% of it, comes directly from people that we've got hold of, that we've, you know, tried, we tried down and worked with. Um, which has stood us in good stead because ironically, we always take the mick out of my dad's for this. You know, when when he set up his bridge, uh, the, the private bridging book in you know 2004, 2005, they were the, one of the first, if not the first, patron of the NACFB. And at the time, all work from lenders was direct to client, client yeah. lender lend. And they were part of the revolution where the NACFB came in and they became the broker network in the bridging space. So every, and also they, they were part of, probably, probably quite influentially part of, the, the shift from direct work to broker-led work. Then slight, ironically, you know, 10 years later, we were possibly one of the real first brokerages to do the reverse and go back to the direct client model and get hold of the clients, sit with them. Um, and it's been, it's worked well for us. Yeah, I'm just thinking about, the community that you you've successfully i suppose built up this incredibly strong reputation within it's you know for those people who aren't aren't aware of the stanford hill orthodox jewish community um it's you know they are very it's it is very much a closed shop and to have you know that and it's not just a closed shop to um you know, it's, it's a, not just a closed shop to non-Jewish people, it's a closed shop to people who aren't religious Jews as well. And so as a consequence of that, you know, to be able to, um, I suppose, penetrate that market and to to have a position of trust as a trusted advisor is a really significant achievement. What do you think were the key components in being able to, um, you know, in being, being able to not only break into that market but after so many years continue to sustain that you know upstanding reputation that you have with that that group of individuals or, yeah. or that well as a group of individuals that community essentially yeah, I think I think ironically it, uh, what what makes me laugh uh, back to what I said a second about Manchester there's a there's a equally as big but the Orthodox Jewish community there in in that part in Salford and we've never really cracked that one again probably back to what I said earlier but you know there's probably a couple of examples which maybe kind of set us above you know we're committed to do it you know i remember one day i'd gone to the office 
in literally a pair of shorts and trainers and a t-shirt because it was a Wednesday afternoon I was there for the day and then got a phone call from a client saying we, we, we've we been let down uh, oh sorry the, 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 we, we thought we'd have a statutory notice period not read the contract we need to complete in three days what can we do and the lender pulled out because it was just after the Brexit vote and I remember literally putting on Steve's size eight feet when I got size nine my brother's shirt who looks like an underfed child you know, and a pair of jeans I got from one of the sales guys next door in the, and I literally got on, I went and got on a train. I was there three hours later. We did the deal and we completed it three days later. So there was a commitment to doing it. Um, I think part of it, and I, we never had this confirmed, but I think part of it is that because we are outside, we do, we initially, we immediately have a level of anonymity for clients. So we all know how the Jewish community works. They all support each other. They all look after each other, but they are fright, frightfully personal in what they do and proud of who they are. And, they keep things very clear. Every meeting finished with remember don't say this to anybody. Every meeting, you know, they, and they'd always take you to the next one. They make sure you mention it. We never portrayed any of them. We never will, never have. You know, we even if we had the same deal from three different people, we, we talked to them all individually, and whoever got there got there. Um, and I think part of it, I think a lot of them thought we were odd. You know, what what are these three? You know, at the end of the day, I, I was probably 22, and I looked very young at 22. You know, and I've got my dad and Steve are two middle-aged gentlemen who are white skin with ginger hair. You know, I remember walking into a a, a, a Cadesia Hesher um, restaurant in Stamford Hill, which basically is one of the only two in the in London where they can eat meat. And the whole room stopped and looked at us like we were we were we were the total oddities in that world. And we sat there for hours, and you know, you, you, have, you have, literally have kids like putting chollen over their shoulders. They're like, who the bloody are these lot? And it, it, there was probably a bit of oddness to it. And I think we're also respectful. You know, we, there's a there's a, a very very good broker there, based on now. I know we we went to see him straight away and said, look, we're not here to compete. We're not here to step in your toe. There's enough work to go around. You know, there is. Like, you're snowed under. We've got the the appetite. And you said that look, if if we ever see something coming across our desk and people are trying to rate war against you, we'll tell them go back to where you are. And and it, it went a long way. And we've always stuck to that principle because, you know, like I said earlier on, since we created AFIT, we do compete a little bit more than we ever have done prior to. So that uh, merger, but yeah, to this day, in I'd say now a billion pounds of property debt funded, I, I could count one hand, genuinely one hand, when it's come across me, where it's been to a serious, an LDN, a Watts, a Finance Four, a Crystal, the big boy, a bright star, the people who we all aspire to be and look towards, and we would like to think we put ourselves in the same bracket. It just happened. There's loads of work to go around, and it, like I say, back, back to again, being humble, knowing what you've got hold of, and working with it yeah i mean i uh, i think uh, i i love i love what you said there about approaching that local broker in the early days because i think the, what you did there is you know at, at least from from my perspective is that you sort of diffused a potential situation there because he could have he could have you know talked talk smack about you around the community and that would have been much harder for you to get you know get the um you know get the plane off the ground as it were yeah. but but the reality is that you know you you sort of you, you diffused it you made him feel comfortable you said look yeah and and i and i think you and it's great that you take that approach as well and i think something that we've always you know from an avonmore perspective we've always taken the approach that we we want we we, we don't ever really want to talk badly about our competitors you know other lenders in the market yeah occasionally we'll be frustrated we won't like some of the things that our competitors are doing and we might have private conversations around that but we'll never publicly criticize anyone and and ultimately especially this finance market 
it is about it, you know we, we we all need to root for each other because the, the bigger it is the stronger it is and yeah. um yeah so I, I i i fully endorse the approach that you take um if you don't mind me just jumping on that point I no, think, no no i won't well, no no of course yeah it's, 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 I, 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 and i do believe that and i'd like to think you'll probably attest to this that i think a lot of the misconception a lot of the time when you're not as involved in this business as you are in this world as you are i think a lot of people think brokers are very cutthroat very against one another if anything i, I i've always believed that brokers are actually, there's more of a kind of brotherhood between all your family amongst brokers i, I can bring any of the, the big boys now I, I, a lot of my friends now say got a deal in xyz it's complicated and they won't say oh if you give it to me or, or i don't they just give me a name mm. and i think probably te- five six years ago i think there was probably a lot more reticence for lenders to get together and help each other and to be almost to become friends with each other principles of the business and then we did a couple of events ale trail being one that you know that you came on all of a sudden you're in an environment where you're on a, a sweaty train to lead where you've got 20 people around you who 50 percent of that room are principal lenders and the laughs we had, and you know, the camaraderie that kind of bored out of those days, you know, something we were really proud of. And I think, obviously, we're not saying for one second that we were the genesis of lenders getting on. We all know people get on. But I, I think today there's a lot more of strength in numbers with lenders now than there ever has been. You know, people look out for each other. Yeah, there's been a few people who have moved from business to business, which have probably carried that with them. But you know, I do think it's a lot more of a harmonious world now. I think it's great. I think it's great. Well, like, like, you said, like, like you said, there's a lot of... Uh, there's a lot of business to go around yeah. and uh, we don't need to be nicking business off each other. I mean, it's such a fragmented market in the, in the lender marketplace. I mean, you know, in, as it is with the brokers, uh, the broker space, you have to, you have to find your own vertical that you can operate within, you know, that what sets you apart, what makes you special. And you can't just rely on maximum leverage and you can't ma- rely on cheapest price because there'll always be someone who can do more leverage and there'll always be someone who can do, more price so how do you how do you find the the pigeon you know you need to pigeonhole yourself I mean, it's something we always struggled with in the early days is that oh we don't like to pigeonhole ourselves but actually you know you'll 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 say this from a broker's perspective no i need you to pigeonhole yourself because if you don't i don't know what deals to give you um you can't be all things to all men or women or yeah. fill in the blank um so so let's talk about afig now um what 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 are you seeking to achieve? What's the you know what's the motiv- motivation behind the merger uh, with Advantage, and uh, you know what what are the what are the next you know what are the next 12, 18, 24, 36 months look like for, from an AFIC perspective? Yeah, so it's 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 a it's an opportunity. There's nothing sure. You know, we, we've been handed I say handed. We work for it. We, you know, we we combined now to have an opportunity where our market reach can become exponential you know they've got a big database of people that they the difference of what they have to what we have and it, it just sort of sort of tails on to what you said a second ago about being pigeonholed you know a lender in our space like like brokers we don't have a product to sell as such yes a lender has money but they still a product you, you, we we only sell a service you know we sell ourselves and we sell a service and something that we've been very proud and very conscious of i know even more you're the same and afig I think we want to call it. You know, it's a it's an opportunity now for us to take our core beliefs of hands-on personal service and try and maximise it and try and scale it. You know, we 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 hopefully in the, in the process in a few months of taking on three or four more people on the on the sales side. Naturally, we'll have to take on more people on the back office side. You know, because we've got the scope to do it. But it's it's easier said than done in our world because we we want mini versions of us to come to us ready wrapped. And they don't you know they do they do exist, but they're either already 
ingrained where they are doing really well for themselves or it takes time to train somebody but you know the, the genuine truth is that we want to get to a stage where we go from doing say between 100 and 150 million quid a year in debt to pushing that towards 250 300 million pounds a year in debt you know we, we do have potentially the scale to do that um or the scope to do that and you know we want to build something which is not just a name and not just four guys from manchester who people I'd like to think they like us and we'll have a beer with them, we'll have a bit of fun with. You know, we do want to probably create, or we do want to create something that could be here for a while, you know, for people to, you know, I don't mean buy into us, but people to become part of, you know, and that, that's the plan. We, we, we want to create something that's tangible, that's potentially saleable, who knows, but something that we, we are proud of and, you know, we want to have, we want to compete on a level or, or try and you know, re-revolutionise our industry from a broker's point of view. You know, can we have, we, we've always been relatively lauded of having a small team maybe punching above our weight by means of quantum and, and the deals that we do, you know, and, and the sort of thing that's always pushed was you wouldn't be able to do that if you had 20 people, 30 people, 40 people. Well, do we ever go? I don't see why we can't. So that, that, that's potentially the, the way we're going. You know, it, you, you know, like I know, Michael, in this world, in the specialist finance world, you know, there'll be another phenomenon of what people want to build and buy tomorrow you know we want to be ahead of that we want to be in front of it you know we, we've got our first i've got a deal on my desk at the moment which is for a biotech industry we want to bridge against their products wasn't doing that six months ago a year ago it's from a friend of one of the founders there so you know we, we are trying to you know turn our um attention to other, other marketplaces and just take our core beliefs and uses of what we can do to other markets maybe I mean, uh, that's an interesting, uh, interesting segue to, or interesting rabbit hole to go down. Um, so you, that particular case that you're talking about, how do you decide whether it's worth pursuing or not? Because obviously it, it sounds fascinating, but at, at the end of the day, you're a business and you need to be doing stuff that is actually going to, you know, keep you in the style you're accustomed to and Steve and your dad and, and everyone else. How do you decide whether how do you decide whether it's worth pursuing or not? Because something like that, which is really quite far from you know your bread and butter, yeah. um, you know, with with what degree of certainty do you do you do you need to have to be like right? Okay, I'm going to go and try and help these people because I I'm certain I'll be able to find a a solution. But at what point do you like actually? Do you know what guys? I don't think I can help. Yeah, I think it probably it probably bears balls back to where we started, where we started doing bridging finance. Who we we, we talked to lenders at the time, you know, that we only knew. Um, so this one's come through a trusted source, you know, it's come from someone that we know. Spoken to the people behind it, they seem like decent people. That that's a, a great start. It has to be. You have to have faith in someone. They know what they're doing, and they they seem to know what they're doing in truth. And like anything, over the years, you talk to certain lenders on property schemes and then you end up having a chat as you do and you know the, the, someone that we know were funding the, the purchase of nurseries but as trading businesses so then the conversation starts so oh you do trading businesses do you yes we do and then we also do product development okay and th those conversations keep happening i'm a big believer of just every so often you know, i drive quite a lot for various reasons i'm in the car i'll ring someone i'm not spoken to in six months how are you doing what are you up to where are you now what do you and just have these conversations and you know ironically call it look call it time and i had a conversation with you know, a bloke probably four or five months ago, they said they were looking to get into the renewables, the technologies, the you know, medical sectors, and this came across the desk three, four weeks ago. Two and two together, is it something you'd look at? Yes, it is. You know, long and it's a chunky deal. It's it's a nice 
it's a nice deal for us to, to be working on. It's just, you know, we, when we did our first PD scheme, we spoke about it. Did our first new bill scheme, we spoke about it. Did our first HMO, we spoke about it. You know, and there's no reason why we can't then go and do something like this. Why not? Mm. Do you think that um, that natural level of curiosity is a big driver in the success that you have? Yeah. Um, that willingness to take a risk and, and, and do something different? To a point. It's, it's, it's a calculated risk. Yeah. Well, I mean, when, when, is, when, if you can give an example, obviously you don't need to name names or anything, but when is an example where you've gone, I can't do that. This is something that I'm, this is too much, or uh, that's just not achievable. Is, have you got any examples of that where, where you, you've said no? Because I, I, there must be some. Oh yeah, there's loads. You know, there's ones where the property is not right, and you know it's not. Ironically, it's not going to try and turn into a sales pitch. This, but we 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 got pretty good at saying no for for the benefit. And back to probably the story before from from the Stamford Hill community, we got really good at saying no quite quickly. You know, at the time we were dealing with them in particular, the the, the permitted development market was booming, and what we saw was a big shift in you could buy an office block with PD in place. And you could build it out, you bought it for X, you built it for Y, and you made Z. And it all worked. And then everyone jumped in the bandwagon. And then, then what we started seeing was schemes coming to market where the PD wasn't in place. So all of a sudden, yeah, okay, it's it's a it's a grant, it's gonna come. But then you've got a 56-day period after you bought it where you sat doing nothing. And then we saw even further where the PD element didn't even work. You know, you bought for X, you bought built for Y, it was it was literally worth X plus Y you might get planning in the garden you might get planning on the room mm. you know, you've, you've seen it like i've seen it and you know we we probably at the time said no to probably 10 deals a week you know we could have made it work it wouldn't have been difficult you know, we, we could have said yeah great deal. our procuration fee were, were were nice things to take but we said no a lot and again that still isn't good but from you know from other points of view we've we've had not very nice people knock on the door in your in, in inverted commas you know figuratively speaking you know, we've googled people's names and thought you don't look them in a million miles um mm. we t- we try best we can to stick away from helping family out to a point we'll help them out we don't work with them because mm. we don't want to um but yeah that, they're probably the big examples i say there's nothing or and this is this is god's honest truth i i've heard of a a deal which we've been working on for a few months and then we're about to complete and then a, a friend he's a friend now he's a he's a, he's a co-broker Rangham said do you know this was the one when we were playing golf that time i said that guy really shafted me owes me a load of money da, 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 da. and we actually wrote to the lender who again a friends of us said look it's up to you but we we don't feel comfortable this is the way he portrays himself would you write in a fee to cover his costs and they were like yeah we'll, we'll happily do that Spoke to the borrowers, look, this is your option. So we'd rather complete and get it done, but you owe X. You know, it wasn't a, it wasn't around the drains. It was a chunky bit of money. And he said, well, what's that got to do with you? I said, the principle. It's just his principle because I'd want to be in a position where if this happens to me, he'd ring me and say the same. So he, he, he did complete. He, and the, the other lad got a few quid off the back of it. Or it wasn't what he was totally owed, but it was a lot more than what he'd got the day before. And it's, you know, it's not a, that's not a high and mighty viewpoint, but you know, it's, it's, that was about just being a decent human being. And, and we all came to that conclusion. It wasn't a conclusion. It, you know, we were happy to walk away with the deal, the four of us. It was a five minute conversation. Do we walk away from this deal and lose that on our fees to help somebody else out? And the answer is yes, because you know for a fact that you're never the first person done, they've done it to. Mm. You know, we, we, 
you know, we're renowned for staying involved in the deal all the way through the money getting paid back. You know, I don't want to be putting heads with this guy all the way through because he can't be asked taking a phone call or can't be asked speaking to me. So it was a bit of principle. You know what? It works. And you know, have we ever spoke to him again? No. That was his choice. But, you know, live and learn. <laughs> yeah. No, it sounds like it sounds like you, you have a, a decent set of principles that you like to live by. And um, clearly those those principles serve you well. I and mean, I, I, I think Stephen uh, always like to mention that, you know, at any time they introduce the deal to a lender, the, you know, you, you have a, you had, a, you certainly had at the time that I had this conversation with Stephen, a 100% record of getting the, the client out of that facility um, and moving them on. Is that, is that still the case? And uh, do you, you know, and are you still, and, and, you know, and do you think that that, is that part of your set of principles that has also served you so well. Yeah, yeah. Look, at the end, of the day, my dad lent money. My dad lent private money. He, he said he used to sleep. He had, he'd have sleepless nights thinking he was going to get the money back. You know, and it, it's relatively easy to get money out the door. To get it back's the difficult part. You know, we we had, you know, we we did carry reputation for so many years. We we had a hundred percent redemption rate. And the ironic part is now it's it's probably about ninety eight point two percent. But the one point eight percent that kills our reputation is where lenders have actually gone bust. We couldn't get the money back. Full stop. Yeah. <laughs> but don't get me wrong. There's been there's been you know immediate refinances. There's been rebridges. There's been yeah. It's not like we've not you know we've got a 12 month service. We've always paid back on a month loan in 30 days. That's not the way of the world. But no, no, no. What what we've always what we, because we've always stayed in the game in the development in particular all the way through. You know we 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 built houses ourselves. We sort of know how these things work. We've been around enough units mm. to see when things are starting to go a bit wrong. And we're a big believer of you know, if we're 12 months into a two-year build and they've not even got to DPC level, they've not got to first fix, that's, you're not building the rest of these. You're not. So deal with it now. Don't wait till month 18 and then go, oh, actually, there's been a delay on Windows from Germany because no one believes you. You know, Just deal with it earlier. And yeah. have, have being involved and having that, um, you know, the approachability to the lender and, and the trust of the borrower to have those conversations early on. They, they what stood us in good stead. It wasn't our... It wasn't just our broker ability to to see another opportunity or to it was deal with it early than later because you you, you could turn that to any phrase in life. The second things are about to go wrong is literally about two weeks after you should have looked and dealt with it. Yeah, no, I mean it, it, two weeks, possibly two months, sometimes even two years, right? So <laughs> couldn't it? I mean that's the thing. It's like the, there's an expression, you know, hard, you know, e- easy choices, hard life, hard choices, easy life, and it's having that difficult conversation early um it's it's like that as you you'll fully appreciate when a lender gives you uh, that lend, a lender gives you a quick no it's look it's it can be it's obviously frustrating uh at times but you know you, you've got that clarity the, the worst thing that you can do as a lender and you know it, look i'm not going to sit here and say we've never done it but the worst thing you can do as a lender is essentially go yeah yeah yeah, yeah and then you get to the you know you you, you get to you know, midway through due diligence or close to drawdown in certain cases, as, as the deal you explained before, and then you turn around and go, "No, we can't do it. Sorry." Um, it, you know, better, bet, much better to say no right at the beginning because that's what that's what kills relationships. That's what what just destroys trust. It is, but I think what you know, and I'm not sure I blow smoke up your trumpet. I think the one thing that you know, I, I, we've always laughed at this when we've had far too many glasses of wine in an Indian restaurant with that drunk the cat and go cross-eyed. You know, your business is very like my business, I think. We, we, we do have a complete 
you know, affiliation and I, I hate the word synergy. We do, we, we have the same core principles and they stem from Zahar and you know, the two guys have gone before and then the people you've brought in. You've created a culture that lives by who Michael Dean is and who Zahar is. That's what you've done at what We've done the same. We just haven't grown as quick by means of personnel. But, you know, what my big frustration is that I, I know for a fact, if, if there's been occasion where Evermore have turned around at last minute and said, actually, we can't do this, I would put very good money on the facts because you weren't told the truth. They don't. Or you, weren't told the full, or you weren't told the full story. Because I always say every borrower, and I say this to, to, and I will say this to everyone, doesn't matter what story is. Doesn't matter how bad it is. Doesn't matter how good it is. Oh, it doesn't matter. How good it is. Doesn't matter. Just tell me everything, right? And then what I do, I turn around to the BDM, the underwriter, the whomever needs to hear what my proposal is, and I tell them everything. I don't choose what to hold back. You know, if that individual then goes to credit or to whoever does, whoever's got the final say, if they decide to not include something, that's that. That's, they know their credit proposal. Not, I don't know it. So you know, t- tell everyone everything and then let other people who've got the, who've got the ability to decide what's personal and what's not, let them decide then. Mm. I think it's uh, like if, particularly for a relatively inexperienced broker in, in, in the market, you know, that's a very great piece of advice. You know, don't, you think if you think that you're doing your client a favor by not disclosing stuff or not mentioning it to the lender actually that's the wrong that's the wrong thing to do because so much of it's about perception um you know if, if you're completely open and transparent at the front uh at, you know at the front of an introduction chances are up to a certain point the lender's going to go all right yeah fine okay we'll, we can work with that um if you if you mention it the last minute or even worse the lender discovers it independently then you know perception is everything and you, you absolutely destroy the client's perception and that's where the deal can fall apart um it's like, now, it's like, it's like going on a blind date i've never been on like imagine if you go on a blind date oh you've had a couple of pictures and you get there look nothing like it no one's gone ah don't worry they just don't <laughs> do they? I, I mean it depends whether, whether whether the photo that they they, they posted was was better or worse than that actually how they look i mean generally well, who who posts a photo of uh, who who's going to post a photo of, of them looking worse but anyway no, um, i had a friend of mine like he, he went on a date once said that he basically got a little bit catfish to say because when he got there she was let's say quite a lot older than what she portrayed and he realized that when she sat in the picture in black and white it wasn't a filter <laughs> it was from the 1950s was it yeah it was <laughs> Well, I mean, you know, she, she was a nice looking woman in the 1950s. Good for her. Uh, she, I mean, maybe, uh, maybe she aged well as well, but uh, perhaps not what he was going for. So um, in terms of in terms of growing AFIG, uh, AFIG or AFIG, you know, what do you see the biggest challenges over the next, I suppose, 18 months? Or, or what do you see as the biggest threats? The biggest challenge is trying to convince the people that we naturally we're salespeople you know, we are we, 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 we i do believe you have you have a, a credity you know organized person you have a salesperson you do have the odd you know hybrid but they, they still will sway one way and naturally within advantage as well again they're, they're a sales team you know they have 26 sales staff and they've got like four or five backroom teams the problem i think i've noticed over the last probably six months in particular is that my dad's old adage is if you put more sausage meat in the sausage machine you'll get more sausages that's always the way he's been he's a typical sales guy the problem is that especially in the development finals 
arena it's so technical it's so in-depth you do need to have knowledge and we'd be best placed going getting five or six development underwriters from lenders than going getting four or five more salespeople. so my biggest challenge will be trying to convince the other people that's what we have to do um that'd be the biggest challenge i guess the you know the fear you know we well, we don't. Have, we can't live in a way we've got a fear. Is will this not work? Because if you if you turn that mentality to anything, it won't work. You know, yeah. so it's not blind optimism. You know, there there is. We understand it's a challenge. It will be a challenge because the biggest thing that we've realised so soon is that you know back to our old mantra: the client, we're direct to client. The difference is here, we are. Yeah, we're still direct to client. We're still we're still talking to the guy on the end of the phone who's either putting the brick on the floor or is telling the guy to put the brick on the floor. The difference is. At this present time, they're not quite our client, best advantages client. Yeah. So we've got that little hurdle. You know, so it, again, it's about you know we, we've had to adapt one of a better word and 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 change the way how we approach things. And look, it's it's been a it's been good so far, and hopefully it'll mm. you know, continue. Yeah, it's it's like you the the door is ajar, but it's but it's not completely open for you to walk through it. So there's a bit of extra effort that is required. Yeah, I mean, I obviously speaking to a lot of brokers, uh, you know, in a similar position to yourself, but everyone wants to grow. The challenge is, the challenge is, how do you persuade someone who's experienced to come to come on board on the sales side? Because if they're if they're experienced and they're good, they they're very hard. They're very hard to prize away. Why would why why do they want to come to you? And otherwise, if they're experienced and they want to come to you what's their reason for wanting to come to you obviously you're a great guy awesome bloke great opportunity etc 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 but you know most people most people who are doing well are generally loath to move move on from what is a good thing um and so naturally your 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 instincts will be mm, you're experienced but you want to come and join me where's the, what's the catch what's the what's the issue is there is there a temptation then for you to to look at trying to, to you know train people and build them up from the ground up rather than uh you know rather than trying to get people in uh, a bit more laterally or horizontally maybe it depends uh, the reason why i say that is that i think everyone's got their own reasons and until you ask you don't always know you know we, we are very good friends with the person who works for you you know and we it, i always said this i, I said it to, to anybody when, when we were asked years ago who's a good bdm slash salesperson there were there were three names always on the tip of my tongue always and but the, the, but the covering line was but you'll never get to them because they're so high where they are and they're so flying at where they are they'll never come and one day you asked him and he's now works for you so sometimes you just have to ask and it's the best thing i know that it's the best thing he's ever done you know, i've seen him on saturday you know we're great friends like we are with you and sometimes you just have to ask these questions because you don't always know what other people's motivation is you know they might want to come work for a light money you know i've got one guy who we're talking to next week you know he's smashing it he's flying he's doing do you want to come potentially work with us with the same age you know we've got a bit of longevity together potentially and he's like yeah yeah and i said and just out of interest do you like do you like working home on your own and it was he, you could hear him go and it was also you could you'd, you'd hit his nail on his head we all sort of still want to be part of a team a little bit. We all have that year after work. We all have that, that camaraderie, the office banter. You do want to have it a little bit. So you never know. But then I think we are also minded that if we do take people who are now starting out, I think there's an element of luck 
with those people. You don't, you never know what you're going to get. We've been very fortunate recently. We've, we've actually taken on a girl called Kat, who I actually went to primary school with Kat, believe it or not. She's actually my best friend's fiance. Um, and she was a single mum for a long time. She's phenomenal. What a woman. And she's worked for car salespeople. She's worked for stationary salespeople. She's done every side of selling. So you go, you know what? She's family. Can we do like our family? Is she the right person? Let's have a go. We're training. She, you know, she, she sat in meetings. She's been here for six weeks, eight weeks. She sat in meetings telling lenders what we want from them. You know, she's fearless. And she, she's, the good, she, she's the good luck story. Opposite to that, years ago, we took on one of our bank managers to become a salesperson in London when we, lived, when we all lived up north. It was a train wreck. You know, so you, 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 it's one of those, it very much depends on the individual's that's probably the moral of this podcast it's the want to do what we want them to do but we, we can't instill that in anybody if they want to succeed in their own right if they want to be part of something that we think's hopefully worth being part of you know it's not a god-given it's not they, they have to put just as much effort as we put into it and the people that do will have you know you know we have a, we have a great laugh we do stupid events you know we we have fun we, we look after each other and it, you know the opportunity is there for someone it's just if they want to be part of it, as much as we want them to be part of it, because it has to be a two-way street. Yeah. Uh, well, look, for sure, uh, you know, and you, you find yourself in a in a very small group of of brokerages where you know the, the adapt knock is a different knock, uh, as they say. Uh, and of course, perhaps if you're able to attract people with the idea of acquiring a mini for five hundred quid, and then uh, <laughs> and, and 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 then having them break down. Uh, on you somewhere in the northwest um then it sounds like it sounds like a good plan uh you, you could cert- could certainly su- sign a younger uh a younger version of me up and uh, for that sort of thing um l- let's just talk uh, about things a bit more personal now as we're sort of starting to wrap up but um i, I know you like to uh, I-, I know you like to cook um but what other positive habits are you engaged in that support your lifestyle and well-being and obviously a, a strong family man that you are positive so i'm not a not a gym goer i'm still sort of getting away with it at the moment he says um try to just try and be live a very relaxed life you know that, that and then just, big thing yeah, our house you know you, you, it's full of laughter it just is you know we, we just we spend all day laughing and it's you know, I, I know people get a lot of solace from either going to the gym or doing personal challenges. And you know what? I, I envy them because I don't have that motivation to go and do something like that. But then similarly, we've got three children. You know, we've got a six, five and one year old, which is good fun. You know, and it's it, we, we spend a lot. Of time. Our passion is our family. Genuinely, you know, I find cooking, ironically, Katie, my fiance lasts about the time. I, I never get stressed cooking. It's my actual reverse, my downtime. I, I, I've always enjoyed it. Love entertaining. And, you know, you, you, you'd, you'd rather catch me literally serving a big piece of steak and having far too many glasses of red wine. I, that's my way of enjoying life around friends and family. And it always will be. You know, I, I've grown up in that environment. You know, my, my parents have got a party for everything. They can, they can make a party out of a party. You know, my, my daughter's third birthday, there's 80 people there. You know, it's just it's just the way they are and it's it, it, it has been passed on to me and my brother and it, yeah it's 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 what we do but i think you know lifestyle choices are a big thing you know it's just as i say just try and be a decent person you know 
simple things. People like help people out. You can see someone get off a train with a massive bag to help them down. It's 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 quite sad to point. It's got to the stage now where when you ask someone if you want some help with a the bag, they almost like you like you're the bloody weirdo, you know, especially on a tube. Um, but no, just yeah, no no real. I don't have anything that you know. I listened to guys last week. You know, he, he just hourly walked through Hyde Park. I, I don't particularly have anything like that. You know, I'm not a massively routine person. I obviously kids have their routines because kids do. But you know, you, you've met Katie. You know, she's Cornish. You know, she'll never die of a heart attack. You know, she, we, all the mates call her Lady for a reason. There's no <laughs> this house, luckily. Um, so yeah, it just don't overthink things. Stay, stay level-headed. Yeah, I, I think that that um, you know, some some of the things that I've been listening to, as, as you know, I'm a bit a bit more obsessed about this sort of uh, health and well-being thing. But you know, when, when you get to 41, I think you might uh, you might take a slightly different approach as well. Um, the um, I, I think the fact that you spend you you seem to have this very close bond with your family. Um, you know, family seems to be everything to you, and obviously being a very social social and sociable person. And it, it's been said that actually that spending time you know studies is now showing that spending time with people you know there's a reverse of isolation um and uh, you know studies are showing that in the us people are getting lonelier and lonelier since i think about the mid 70s people are increasingly getting lonelier and lonelier um even people who are in you know committed personal relationships um loneliness is quite a big thing and it seems like you you know you do very much the opposite and you you always like to have people around you yeah. and um yeah okay sure you're not sitting meditating you're not you know like like, like the rest of us uh you know middle-aged men sitting in cold plunges and uh you I know do doing, doing doing our intermittent fasting uh you do you do the do you do the cold plunge i would, I would do whenever, whenever i used to play what was the one thing you know, i used to laugh they used to always call me the northerner because I, I don't i never get cold pretty much so those ice baths are brilliant i just love those well, I I I tell you what I can uh, I'll, uh, I'll as a house as another house warming warming gift I'll, I'll get you one I'll get you one of those there uh, the one that the one that I use it's uh, I think it's called Theropod or something like that um, at the moment the water is you know we're, we're recording in May of 23 the water is starting to get a little bit on the warm side and I'm a bit too tight to go and buy massive bags of ice to make it colder so uh but it's still a, a really good morning routine uh there's sharp intake of breath when you get in for the first time uh at sort of quarter to seven in the morning it's uh yeah it it it, it hits differently that's for sure um yeah you have, you have to remember i'm from the northwest of england you learn to swim there before you learn to walk cause it's constantly <laughs> raining so well, as, <laughs> as, as you as you as you know well i spent enough time up there but i don't think i don't think it rubbed off on me uh as as much as it would have done you uh so let's talk about people that inspire you um I, i'm sure steve and and your dad uh are, are, are kind of inspirational figures in your in your life but you know they're they're more other people you know which people or past events kind of inspire you and give you the motivation to to succeed um probably a few actually and they're more they're more moments rather than you know bits of so i you know at school i say it wasn't the brightest but i had something about me i remember one teacher like my arch nemesis we had an extraordinary amount of respect for one of them i remember on the last day of school he he came and sat with me and he brought me a beer over obviously pay levels and he said look forward to seeing what you're doing like jordan because i've got no doubt he'll be the one back here with the success as opposed to the the degree something and i, I did went back and I, I did a 
a motivational speak for the kids at the school. You know, that was a great, it was a thing that he instilled in me. Um, my brother coming out as gay was a big one. You know, that, that's a, a very, very proud of him for that. You know, that couldn't have been easy for him. Um, you know, that was a story in itself. But it's just, you know, again, he, he continues to do so. His career is fantastic. You know, I, I, a lot of my, I try and emulate a lot of his core beliefs of what he does. So he's a, he's a, he's a counsellor. He looks after people daily, you know, and, and that's something that we all take great pride in. Um, my little girl is disabled. She has cerebral palsy. You know, she had no, she was born at 30 weeks, had no right to survive, did. You know, every challenge she ever ever you know, face she's conquered and she's only getting older, better looking, stronger, funnier, you know, a huge inspiration for all of us. You know, we, we laughed at the day and she's, she's not mobile, you know, she, she's getting there, it's taking a hell of a lot of time, but you know, and she wants to do it. And we sat and the other two kids are running around and, everyone, and the, the loudest laugh and the biggest smile you can hear is from an A. And she, she takes great enjoyment from life. And it's a big lesson for all of us. You know, meeting Katie when I did was one of the big things that probably, you know, I, I no, being frank, probably could have gone down a path which not other people always want to go down, and she probably thought she did like rescue me. And off the back of that, you know, I have probably more so in the last three or four years, which I've, you've probably seen and you've been part of it in truth. Surround myself with a lot of a lot of better people. You know, she's been a big part of that. Parents have always been role models. You know, they have a they have a hilarious relationship on dad. They love each other beyond belief. Don't remotely like each other. You know, they love each other. You know, my mum's still the scariest person at five foot two in Wiganish. You know, she fries me to death. But I think actual, you know, I think it, 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 you could turn around and say, have things happened that I've witnessed that have inspired me to go and do? Yeah, of course. You know, we all witness things day to day. You know? But I think the personal ones to me is where someone has done something that you don't expect of them or, or that it surprises you. You know, someone's done something which has taken you completely off your feet. And by doing that, have either instilled something different in you or made you see something differently or approach something differently and those like I say the the teacher Katie my brother my daughter you know they're all things that were one epiphany you know Matt started out as something tragic that have become amazing something that was a secret that's become you know something to be proud of something that was not even there that's now become my life all these things have just created a continuation of be better want more enjoy it laugh about it you know, smile. I mean, just talking about your um, your daughter Anae, I, I think um, I think it's so lovely that you see her as an inspiration because so many of us, um, you know, we we want and expect our lives to be to be perfect, and and obviously, you when you discovered very early on that you know she was going to have maybe a a different life to what you would have imagined for her um, I think a lot of people would perhaps be a little bit down in the mouth and they would struggle to come to terms with that or maybe even in certain cases be in denial about it and I've got an oldest son who's um, who's got autism um, he's very mildly autistic he's always been very spiky uh, a very spiky profile but there's always been that element of it for a very long time you know I think if I'm being honest I you know, I, I sort of was in maybe a bit of denial about it, or I didn't want, you know, I didn't want to face up to the reality of that. Um, and I think what's, what I think is so great is that, you know, you see, you know, she clearly doesn't see 
she doesn't feel in any way less able you know i think and and she she embraces life to the fullest by the sounds of it and 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 i imagine that gives you great joy and as you as you rightly said great inspiration and you know look i i absolutely love that i think it's, i think that's fantastic so you know hats off to you to, hats off to you for that moment that's that's really good um last couple of questions because i yeah. think we're sort of starting to run out of time and you've, you've got i'm sure better things to do than, than talk to me um what are some of the common misconceptions about you you know what are people what do you what do people sometimes assume around you that actually that you that you know that that actually you, you tend to to put right or put straight um i think especially when 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 i first started doing this i think a lot of people thought that being young was a sign of uh, inability you know, that was a big one i remember sat in a meeting one day and a very ignorant luckily not part of the industry anymore no great shock to me was late to the meeting and then when he sat down he's like oh i'll wait for i'll wait for jordan to get it i was like okay i'll wait for your boss jordan to get it i sat there for 25 minutes after a while he says, i hate when people are late i said well you were 20 minutes late he says why are you taking that tone with me i said well for the last half an hour you've assumed jordan's somebody i've been sat here for the half an hour just some young you assume it's not me and i left and that was a you know quite a funny moment so i think the misconception of youth sometimes is overlooked and i think it's just everyone always says that just because you're young therefore you must be energetic therefore you must be you know passionate and youthful but that doesn't necessarily mean you haven't got the wherewithal to go and do something um and then i think from a personal point of view i, I don't know i think a lot of people may have thought i, I assume some people may have thought arrogance at some stage because you know we've had these conversations some of my friends have had this conversation with and they say that obviously we've been friends for a long time and you know a lot of them have never you know they never called me arrogant thank god but they, they've said to me a few times where do people get a misconception about you because you know at times i have had nice possessions which maybe would give off a different uh, you know perception of who i am but then I, I take on the flip side of that i take nice that was great solace when i remember playing golf with uh, another principal lender and some of his mates and he, one was a bt electrician and one was a he, he's actually taught in a special needs school and when we finished the round of golf we, I was walking back to my car, which wasn't exactly inconspicuous to say the least. And he was before I got to where I was going to, the guy went, oh, who's that? You know, there's some dickhead here in that car. And I walked towards it, he went, oh, God, he says, you've literally just changed my whole, like, set. not on my whole, let's be honest, he said, you just changed, you made me look a right idiot there. And it's like, well, I'm not really. But he said, you seem such a nice lad. I was like, well, it wasn't ever given to me. You know, we, we worked on, yeah, right, it's probably not the most, I say, inconspicuous thing. But I think sometimes if you, if you, do enjoy yourself and you do you are fortunate to succeed i think unfortunately and, and it's quite funny I, I relate back to the stanford hill community here they have no barometer or scale of jealousy they don't look after each other someone's done well well done you've done well i think in our culture there's a massive jealousy problem mm. i think i think in our world either someone thinks that you've been handed it to you or you're a drug dealer pretty much you know I mean, yeah. and i think that's a big issue just collectively now within our culture um but no we, I, we don't like we don't like to see success i mean i, I think that's I, I think i would agree with that particularly in the uk i mean i think in the states it's different i think in the americans tend to be a bit more you know there's so much aspiration to be rich and wealthy and successful whereas i think you know the, the australians call it the tall poppy syndrome i guess the culturally quite similar to us in that at least in that regard so a great, great example on, on the 
on that side from a from a US to UK difference. So my, my brother's best friend Sam, he lives in the States now. And he would have been a professional golfer. Um he was at the US Golf Academy, played off like plus two when at the age of like 14 or whatnot. <clears throat> anyway, long story short, he had a he had a, a brain injury. Luckily he's absolutely fine. But when he recovered from the brain injury, he got meningitis and he hasn't got the feeling in his forearm. He still plays up plus he still plays up one. He's still an incredible golfer, but couldn't quite get there. Yeah. Became a greenkeeper in the UK and a, a, a professional, a, a teacher professional. And he went in his dad's car to, to the golf club one day in the outskirts of Manchester, which was it was nothing, you know, flash. It was a, it was a nice Mercedes, and all his um, lessons cancelled. Or the old trash chicken on the price of almost paying too much money if you can drive that car. So then he, he had basically, and that was that's what his life became. Went to the states. I got like a, a just a runaround because that's all he was, and then no one would book him because they thought if he's got that crappy car. It mustn't be any good. Yeah. And that was the man. And again, that's always living me a little bit. And you know, that, that is the perception of people, isn't it? And that always makes me chuckle when, whenever I think about that story. Yeah. I and mean, it's it's funny, actually, because we have, um, a, I think it's, it's a mutual connection of ours, but I don't think I've told you the story, but he's, um, he's recently set up a business and his backers said to him, when you come to, when you come to our offices, um, you mustn't come in a car that's lower than X brand, but you also mustn't come in a car that's higher than X brand because they're so um, they were so particular about how they and their associates were perceived uh, by by the staff that that work there. Now, I think a lot of those staff were minimum wage because it's sort of out sort of outside the industry, but not. Um, and yeah, it's just a it's just a wild mindset. I mean, you talk about I mean, you talk you talk about um, nice cars, and I know you do have uh, you, you have had um, shall we say nice toys. Um, is is that quite a big thing for you, rewarding yourself uh, with with nice things? Um, um, yeah, being honest, but again, never at the detriment of anything else. Mm. Um, yeah, I guess so. Yeah. It's like anything. We all had dreams as kids. You know, some some might have been to do something, something might have been to other. You know, I had a certain couple of little goals that I had growing up, and I managed to touch wood today and fulfil most of them. Um, but yeah, and, and again, I think especially with certain, I think it's possessions a lot of time. I always try best I can do to never come across as someone who's a flashy. And I'd like to across that, but. I prefer the look on someone's face, like the guy at the golf club walking towards that car, and he was genuinely, you know, put out by the fact that I was an all right person who had something nice rather than the other way around. But yeah, a little bit. You know, I, I like cars. I always, always have liked cars. I've been really, really fortunate to be able to, you know, own some nice ones. You know, now having three kids and a dog, it's a, still a nice car, but it's got seven seats and a lot bigger. But I'm trying to work on the Mrs. Sellers and get a run around, but she's not having any of it. Um, but no, yeah, a little bit. I think I think self-reward, I think you have to have self-reward in whatever guise that is, whether it be a treat to yourself, whether it be a break, whether it be, you know, anything that you get gratification from or gives you that sense of accomplishment. It could be just at the end of the week, you know what, I've had a really good week. We just bought a house, so things are a bit, you know, different than we were. So we might have, it could be a takeaway. It could be a, yeah. nice, it could be a nicer bottle of wine. It could be anything that just at the end of the day the week the hour the month whatever you whatever your time scale is anything that you can get that's maybe a tiny bit better than what you could have had before because of something that you've been able to do is an accomplishment at the end of the day 
And I think it's important. Otherwise, you become grey. Yeah, and I think it's something that we all could be better at is actually rewarding ourselves for, you know, when we has, have a success. I mean, I, I certainly think from my own perspective, I don't do it enough. I remember, um, probably did, you know, I, I originated, I think it was the biggest deal in, in Abel's history. And uh, I don't think, I, I think to this day, never really celebrated it, um, you know, which is kind of, which is kind of weird. Um, so, yeah, n- I think celebrating the wins more, in my opinion, is is something that I, I could do better. But it sounds like you're doing that pretty well. I quite like that. Um, last question from me, really, is um, if you were to think back to a time in your life, because I don't want to pick a particular age, but if there was a time in your life where you were at a particularly low ebb, what would you what would you have told what would you tell yourself? You know, what would be your self-talk, you know, the sort of pep talk? to see yourself through if you could think back to that time strap some bollocks on and deal with it quicker okay all right and when would that have been you know when a few times you know i mean okay. I've, I've, I've made some bad decisions in the past i've you know unfortunately you know probably hurt a few people on the way like we all do with it's human nature and, and, and a lot of them you know they hurt a lot of time or the or the the real problem stem or it is it, it becomes a result of an accumulation of things that go wrong over a period of time and the truth is could i honestly sit here and say that when those things came to fruition and, and you know relationships blew up or i made bad calls on certain things did i deep down not realize that was going to happen a week six months a year two years ago and i could honestly not sit here and say yes of course i, did. I had no idea that was going to happen so yeah i think that and it's something i do do a lot better now you know if i think something's wrong i'll, I'll talk about it being honest, you know, I, I have had to talk to other people about things after results, as a result of bad decisions that I've made. You know, I, I, I myself have to seek help, you know. Uh, I'm not afraid of it, not ashamed of it. Luckily, I don't have to now because I dealt with it. I, I, ironically for me, I needed to just go to someone who I didn't know, who was never going to judge me. I was on the phone for two and a half hours. And... I didn't need to go back and that was mm. uh, better than anyone else for doing that it was just what i needed you know and so th- this was a prof- this was a professional uh, therapist or something like that yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, i needed i needed i needed the help i needed to vent i needed to just just literally word vomit my yeah. three years i, I went through, you know a, a semi say destructive is the wrong word but a time where I, I wasn't the best version of me by any stretch of imagination and again that that it could have been called a lot earlier it could have been stopped and that, that, that's, that's all I, you know, I look at nowadays is the second things are starting to go wrong deal with it you know because it will never get better you know you work on things you can work with things but when when you've literally been pushed over that little bit of the hill and it's all descent from then there's no boulder to stop you you know stop you falling yeah well jordan it's been an absolute pleasure um Thank you so much for taking the time to to talk to me and and our listeners. Um, obviously, given your profile in the industry, um, I'm sure lots of people from the specialist finance industry will have tuned in. But I'm sure there'll be plenty of people not in the property or finance world who are also going to be listening to this and going to get a lot of value from it. Um, where can people find you 
if uh, if they want to reach out um do you want to so, do you want to share do you want to share websites and uh you know perhaps linkedin or um or any other socials that you're active on that's what i said oh what you doing you can get the go um yeah look we're at afig.co.uk i think all my handles in uh, instagram my family you come look at the life i lead i love i love my life i'm very proud of my, me and my family um, so that's just at Jordan McBriar and LinkedIn's the same. Bro, I'm quite lucky I've got a weird name that no one else wants to have. So I've got no dots and dashes and whatnot. But yeah, you know, LinkedIn, my work, what we do, what we like to achieve at work, Instagram, a bit of work, but it's, it's mainly my family. So yeah, like you, I'm a, I'm a human being. You know, I'm a dad. Uh, I'm a friend of a lot of people, luckily. And uh, anyone who wants to just come and have a chat or a beer or tell me something I don't quite write, you know, tell me their opinion of something I've said, I'd, I'd happily welcome that. And if anyone wants any, you know, not advice, if anyone wants a chat, I, I, you know me, I'd, I'd always find time for someone. Well, well, I love that. And uh, Jordan, I appreciate you. Thank you for coming on. And uh, yeah, we'll talk again soon. Thank you. <laughs>